to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Gabriel Hamill. Gabriel is a real estate investor whose passion for real estate business and financial freedom has helped him to acquire and currently hold 226 non-syndicated rental units consisting of single-family homes, multifamily apartments, commercial real estate, and mobile home parks. He is a strong advocate of financial freedom through self-education and advocates in building a business that supports one's desired lifestyle. So I'm super glad to have you on the show today, Gabriel. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. So, I mean, it, you have an incredible background in real estate, Gabriel, and I, I'd love to get into a little bit more about you know your background and how you got started. Sure. Yeah, we can go back, I guess, as far as high school or even, even before that. I mean, I was... I was kind of that kid that I had a paper out, you know, from 12 to 16 and I was selling candy bars out of my locker in middle school and just, that's kind of made sense to me. And high school, like school wasn't really a natural fit for me. I mean, I stayed in school really for the, just the social aspect and I was a high school wrestler and it wasn't until a couple of years out of high school, uh, I'd read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners have read. And when I picked up that book, it was really the first book, the first glimpse into like, Hey, there's another way to do it because the idea of just working for someone else forever and just working a job forever and then retiring when you're really old just never appealed to me. It never made sense. And that just kind of seemed like the status quo. And so, yeah, I read that book and that just opened my eyes. And that's really where I got it stuck in my head that I would become financially free and real estate would be that vehicle. And so from a real estate standpoint, what was kind of like the first thing that you did in real estate when you discovered uh, Robert Kiyosaki's book? And then what did you first... I told all my friends like, hey, I'm going to be rich and I'm going to buy a bunch of properties. And they're like, you're an idiot. How are you going to you gonna do that? Like you live in your friend's attic for $100 a month. What are you talking about? But interestingly too, so kind of going back to, I had joined the Army National Guard my senior year of high school. So um, in 99, doing the one week in a month training type stuff. But then soon after I had read that book, it was probably around 2002 that I read that book and had that kind of in my mind, but I was still working odd and end, just low paying jobs. But then in 2003, before I ever bought my first property, I got deployed to Iraq and Kuwait for about a year. And so over there, I thought a lot about the lessons I learned in that book and thought, all right, when I come back, I'm going to start buying buying property. So I came back in 2004, uh, 2005, I bought my first house and I rented out two out of three bedrooms. And so uh, you hear now for doing house hacking. Back then, I just... It just made common sense. I could rent out two of the rooms and that covered uh, the majority of my mortgage. And that's how I got started. And so for that first house that you did a house hack on, uh, did you just go to regular traditional financing for that one? Yeah, it was crazy time then. So like, I've never actually, other than my first three properties, um, I've never traditionally financed a property ever. And those first three was were all during the subprime. So I actually went to the bank. Uh, I had no money. I had no job. I had no down payment. And this is back when they're giving anyone a loan. And instead of just going and buying the biggest, craziest house I could find, I, I bought one that still made sense. And so uh, it was a no money down loan. That was in 05. I did the same thing in 06, no money down. And same thing in 07, uh, I was a 5% down deal. And then 2008, I go back to the bank. And, and that's really where um, things had changed. So lending, they stopped lending to just anybody. You actually needed to have a job, you needed income, you needed down payment. 
So I go back to the bank in 2008 and they're like, you're not lendable at all. Like you're, you need, you know, years worth of income, you need down payment. A lot of things have changed. Um, and I just didn't have any of those things. So I, I figured out, Hey, there has to be another way. And that's when I really started focusing on seller financing. And that's really been just kind of the bread and butter of my business. Everything I bought from 2009 to 2013 were all no money down uh, seller finance deals, mostly on small multi. Can you break down what seller financing is? Yeah. So seller financing is where the seller finances the sale of the property. So rather than most people are familiar with either pay cash for a property or you get a traditional loan, you go to a bank and in fact, you go to the bank, they tell you the terms. You have to qualify and they tell you, here's the down payment, here's the interest rate. These are the terms of the deal. Uh, with seller financing, you can do. So you start payments, anything that you can imagine, you can be as creative as possible on the terms of the deal. And so in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, these are properties that the sellers have owned for a lot of time, for a long time. They're usually paid off and the sellers just carrying the note. They become the bank. You're making your mortgage payments directly to them. You take title, you own the property just like you would if you got a bank loan, except for the sellers financing you directly and you make your mortgage payments to them. How do you approach a seller and um, bring up the topic of seller financing? Do you just go in with the offer? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, early on, like from 2008, 2009, I was just searching Craigslist every day, just every night, owner financing, seller financing, owner terms, just looking at are there sellers that want to carry financing? And, you know, once I did my first deal, it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, But I had a lot of conversations with sellers that wanted to carry financing who the terms just didn't make sense for me. And after I did a few deals, I did think that the approach would be, I need to go out and educate all these sellers on why they should carry financing. Because I thought, wow, this is a win-win scenario. The sellers are happy. I'm happy. Like everybody, Everybody's walking away from the deal happy, creating terms that, that cash flow. But when I really thought about the sellers who, who had carried financing for me, even to this day, every seller who's ever carried financing for me has already understood the advantage of seller financing. And I do know people who have educated sellers and shown them all the benefits of carrying financing. But early on, I realized that because the sellers that I had worked with already wanted to carry financing, I thought it'd be a lot easier route to find sellers that wanted to carry financing rather than having to educate them on what it is, just asking them. Like My negotiation is not... I'm not this hard-ass negotiator coming in here like, here's the contract, here's my offer. I literally am like, hey, what kind of terms are you interested in? And I just listen. And I hear what they have to say. And based on the information they gave me, then I go, hey, can I take what they what their needs are and what I want the property to do for me and create that win-win scenario? Can I create something that gives them what they want and also works for me? And that's really the, the magic in seller financing is you, you can really make it a win-win scenario for both sides. And so what's the typical terms that you uh, find have been the most beneficial for both sides of the parties? I get asked that question more than anything. Like what are typical terms and then and then about negotiation, you know, but there are no typical terms, right? And so I look at Every individual property is just that, an individual property. And so early on, a lot of the terms were similar, like the interest rates, slightly above market interest rate. Uh, they were interest only. They were balloon payments, usually in, within five years. And, and then I came across a couple in their late 70s that wanted to carry 30 years fully amortized. And as I talked to them, I realized this was more of a plan for them to have income for the rest of their life. And it was set up in a trust so that when they passed, their adult children would continue to get that income for the rest of the life of that loan. And that one deal made me realize like, I don't really know what sellers want unless 
I ask. And so that's why, you know, when people say, Hey, what's your script? I'm like, I don't have a script. I just say, what kind of terms are you interested in? And, and again, as much as I can talk, I just, I just shut up and I listen to what they have to say because it doesn't really matter what's typical. It doesn't matter what market interest rates are. It really comes down to what are their needs as the seller? What are your needs as a buyer? And can you put something together that, that pencils out and makes financial sense? The reality is the financing has to support the deal or rather the deal needs to support the financing that's in, in place. You know, and so there are, there are no typical terms. I've done interest only payments. I've done direct principal payments. I've delayed payments months after we close. I've paid higher than market interest. I've paid lower than market interest. It's all over the place, but the deal needs to support it. And so how are you finding um, sellers who are already educated about seller financing and are who are open to um, having that conversation? Yeah. So early on, it was all Craigslist. And people always laugh about Craigslist, but you get a lot of the mom and pop owners, a lot of these sellers who self-manage throwing an ad on Craigslist. And then even some listed properties too. In fact, I find that the more sophisticated the investor, the more as I've moved into more multifamily and the mobile home park space, there's actually more sellers that already understand the advantage of seller seller financing. So yes, early on, it was Craigslist and just telling people what I was looking for. I had the luxury of having no money. So I had to find sellers that didn't care about a down payment. They were more interested in maybe the interest rate or, or the price or some other aspect of the deal. But now it's agents and brokers. So I'm in contract right now on a 109-unit uh, mobile home park. The seller wants to carry financing. So it was a broker I reached out to about another property. He brought me this property. It's, the seller knows the advantage. Of, uh, and it's, so the conversation isn't hard. I know that he wants to carry financing. And I was able to write an offer that works for me and works, works for them. And so this is how you've been able to build portfolio to what it is today is by continuously going and, and finding the seller financing options. That's been the majority. So like, again, other than those first three properties, I've never traditionally financed the property. So up until 2014, from 09 to 2013, 2014, all seller financing. I've done some private money, hard money. And then I will refinance into that long-term traditional financing. But also going back to... You asked about finding the deals. Every single deal I've ever done, especially the seller finance deals, I can trace them all back to building relationships and telling people what I'm looking for. So I just think it's important. I've never done any kind of marketing or paid advertising, never bought a list. I've just been willing to open my mouth and say, hey, here's what I'm looking for and tell people what I'm looking for. And then just genuinely building relationships. I don't go into it with like, hey, what can I get from them? I just, I want to have conversations with as many people as possible. And sometimes that leads to uh, an awesome deal. And so from the seller standpoint, how are they typically protected when they go into this type of agreement? Yeah, it depends. So they'll take a first a first lien just like a bank would. And so they have that lien on the property. So if you were to default, because this was something I looked at when I did my first deal, I'm going, what's worst case scenario? Because I, I hadn't done it before. you know. And I'm looking at this going, all right, I'm bringing no money to the table. Worst case scenario, if I couldn't refinance this property, I would give them, I'd give them the property back. But they would have the right to foreclose just like a bank was. They're the note holder. Got it. That makes sense. And so when you're looking to set up a seller refinancing option, what are kind of like the first steps that you need to do in order to set up this the agreement? With seller financing? Yes. Yeah, it depends. It's been interesting. On a listed property, a lot of times I'll get that property in contract and so it's off the market. But a lot of times when it's not listed, I'm working with the seller directly. And I've done almost all my deals not on a contract. And people, especially agents and brokers, are like, what? This is that's crazy. But 
I've never had a seller back out of a deal just because it was a handshake deal or because we had a verbal agreement. Sometimes it's back and forth through email. But once we've worked out kind of the, the terms and all the details of the seller, the seller finance contract, what we both want, a lot of times it's as simple as shooting over an email to the title company. And it may be state-specific, but a lot of times the title company will have an in-house attorney that will write up the note trust deed for you. If the property is not free and clear, then it's a little more complicated, a few more steps, and you want to get a, an attorney, your own attorney involved for sure. But if it's free and clear, they'll write up the note trust deed for your review. So a lot of times it's an email saying, hey, here's what me and the seller agreed on. These are the terms. They'll write it up for our review and, and kind of go from there. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so, you know, like when you go to a traditional lending route, the banks typically for an individual, I think it's like about 10 houses that you can purchase on your own before you go into a commercial, uh, into a commercial loan. Do you have any types of limitations when you do that with the seller financing or anything? Yes and no. I mean, it's I close all my deals in different LLCs. And so, yes, the first time that I refied my, my seller finance deals in the traditional financing, it did hit that, okay, these are 10 properties. You can finance these. So now I just it's more refined in the commercial type loans. And I'm buying more commercial type properties too. So that, that just makes sense. But it's never been... I've never had an issue refinancing a property, whether it was the traditional kind of Fannie, Freddie, 30-year fix or commercial loan. Got it. And so now you're doing more commercial type properties. How did that transition happen? And are, is that where your focus is now? Or are you still focusing both on the single family and both the commercial side? Yeah, I'm not looking at single family at all anymore. And there's nothing wrong with single. I mean, there's people kicking ass in single family, multifamily, storage, land, I mean, all over, new construction. So I, there's ways to, I think, have success within any asset class within real estate. But my focus has been mobile home parks. So my last four purchases have been mobile home parks, another one in contract. The reason I transitioned there is I was buying a lot of these smaller and then medium-sized multifamily. And I just saw the returns were getting condensed down to nothing. It was getting real competitive, as is the mobile home park space now as well. But mobile home parks, they operate a lot like multifamily. They essentially are multifamily. And I just think there's a lot of upside in that asset class. So that's just really my focus. I do better too when I have a focus and rather than going all over trying to buy everything the conversation is hey i'm looking for mobile home parks you know rather than i invest in real estate that makes sense and so then are you typically just doing the still doing the seller financing or are you syndicating any of these types of deals i've never syndicated a deal i've never raised capital for a deal and a lot of that is i'm not willing to give up my time like i got into real estate investing because of I wanted the financial freedom, but more importantly, as I've done this, I realized it's really my time freedom that I want. And and that's what it allows me. So I hire all third-party property management. And there's nothing wrong with the syndication model. I know a lot of people doing that. They're having a lot of success, whether they're managing the syndication or they're investing into other people's syndication. 
that's just not a model that I want to do. I don't want to be responsible for 30, 40, 50, 100 people's money. And I don't want to give myself a job. And so as you've been building up your portfolio, Gabriel, what has been the biggest challenge that you faced so far? The biggest challenge I faced, I don't mind challenges. So it's hard, it's hard to look at that as, as a negative, right? So like, I mean, early on, it was, hey, I have no money and, and the banks aren't going to lend me money. I mean, that was a huge challenge at first. So I had to get creative, but that forced me to get creative. You know, then it was like a lot of capital going into these properties, getting them cleaned up and, and whatnot, which I, I didn't have a lot of. So I was taking the cash flow and putting them back in the properties. I don't know what I'd say the biggest challenge. I think most of the time, it's just, you know, maybe early on, I wasn't thinking as big as I do today. I mean, I think most of the time, if people want to go bigger, it's just limited in their mind more than anything, anything else. So for the seller financing, are you using seller finding, financing also to for like the capital expenditures and the renovations as well? It depends. Like I don't do any large renovations. So a lot of the stuff I bought early on were just really poorly managed, under-rented property. There's some deferred maintenance. So these weren't large rehabs. They were These are properties that were lived in. But as the tenants moved out, yeah, they needed some work. So originally, I was going in there. I mean, for the first four years, I'm doing it myself. I'm managing. I'm pretending I know how to do any kind of construction, but it was all like mostly cosmetic type rehabs. Now I try to take care of much of that as possible on the front end. If I'm buying a property, say a mobile home park, and there's some issues up front, I want to go in there and take care of it. So it's not this ongoing thing. But early on, I didn't have that luxury. I didn't have extra capital just pump into these properties. So, And then what are the different markets that you're typically invested in? Everything I own right now is in Oregon. How is the market in Oregon? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but again, I think it's why it's so important to build relationships and tell people what you're what you're looking for because property goes live. Now you have a lot of eyes on it. And so you want to have those relationships. You want to have the agents and brokers bringing you deals before they go live. You want to have people thinking of you when they're thinking about selling their property. And I just find that important. Oh, that's great. And then so they're all within. So you can, can you drive to all of them pretty closely? I can. Most of my non-mobile home park portfolio is all within probably 15, 20 minutes of me. I almost never go to my properties. And the mobile home parks, 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half south. And then another one, an hour and a half northeast of where I live. Oh, awesome. And yeah. so Gabriel, so now you've talked a little bit about you know getting into the mobile home park. What is your next focus? Are you going to continue on the mobile home space or are you going to be shifting your focus to something else? Yeah, I'm going to keep buying mobile home parks. The park that I have in contract right now is actually in Arizona. It's not in Oregon. So that's going to be, you know, there's going to be a learning curve there. And then I'm also looking to build self-storage. I think there's a lot of opportunity in self-storage. One of the parks I own has an acre of land that's vacant. And I'm going to put as many storage units on there that I can. That's awesome. That's something that I'm working on currently. That's going to be really great. And that sounds like a really fun project to start working on and building something from the ground up. Yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting. So Gabriel, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Gosh, how has it impacted my life? It's, I, I mean, gosh, I could talk about that forever. <laughs> I had a vision of, I knew like in my mind before I ever had one property that, that real estate would be my path to financial freedom and just more importantly, the, the time freedom. So I'm able to spend time with my two boys and my wife. We're jumping in an RV on Monday and we're traveling the country for two months. So that's why I did it. You know, when I was younger, I thought, Oh, I want to be rich, but it was really like I realized like it wasn't about swimming in a pile of money. I wanted to own my time. I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. 
when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. And, and real estate's allowed me to have that lifestyle. I've been able to be here present with my family. We've been able to travel. We've been able to do all the all the things in life that uh, life has to offer. And, and real estate has allowed that. How wonderful being able to travel two months around the country with your two boys and your wife. How many memories are you guys going to be able to create in that vacation? It's so nice. Oh yeah, we're we're excited. We're excited. <laughs> What's the first stop? We're going to go visit my wife's family up in Washington, and then from there we're going to just we're going to completely wing it. Oh, <laughs> wherever the road will take you. Exactly. Exactly. And so, Gabriel, what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh wow. That I wish I knew when I first started. It may sound weird, but I almost think like how easy it is. You know, I think that it's very easy to convince ourselves why not to buy a property or that it's hard. But I see people working and doing hard things their entire life and not building wealth from it and giving up a lot of their time for it. But when I've seen people jump into real estate, myself included, but other people that I've helped, once they jump in and they do that first deal, they realize like this isn't that bad. This isn't that hard. Same thing when they shift to larger deals. I see a lot of people get their mind will not allow them to get past a duplex. They're like, I think I'm gonna do a duplex. Like anything more than that seems, you know, overwhelming. And then, but if they can get their mind past it, like, wow, 10 units is not much different than two units. 30 units is not that much different than 10 units. So I think that's I, I think that's the biggest thing. Like it's it doesn't have to be that hard. And real estate does have. Uh, you know, proven track record of, of wealth building. And, and every single kind of on that same note, I've never bought a property I regret buying ever. And I could have found a reason. I could have talked myself out of buying every single property that I bought. There could have been something I can, oh, no, I'm not going to buy that because, but rather I pulled the trigger. And so that's, that's my advice. Like jump, you got to jump in at some point. What is it? Some people say, buy real estate and wait. Don't wait to buy real estate. Exactly. 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 Yep. And so what is one thing that sets a successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I think kind of on that same note, but you just said with buy real estate and wait, I think, I think cash flow. Because I've when I got started right in 05, 6, 7, but really serious in 09, I had met people that lost a lot in 2008. They lost a lot in the downturn. But these are people that were speculating. They were banking on properties that had to increase in value and had to get the rent up. And so I've always focused on cash flow first. Does the property make sense today? Now, almost everything I buy has upside potential and a lot of upside potential. I just never bank on that. And so, yes, I've been able to build a lot of wealth through the years because of that long-term appreciation and because of uh, that equity growth. I've just never relied on it. So I think making sure does the property work today? Does it cash flow today? And a great example that is I sold a couple of my original single family homes in 2020 because there was a whole bunch of equity there. But the reason I was able to hold those for so long is because of the cash flow. This cash flow sustained the property. The cash flow allowed me to hold the property all these years that now, and you know, or I guess back in 2020, I can look at it and say, does it make more sense to sell this and move the money? But I never put myself in a position where I had to sell the property for it to make sense. So cash flow first, big believer in that. And then what tools or techniques that you have used in to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? Uh, as far as like efficiency and personal life, uh, I think for me, just kind of going on that time freedom note is really is uh, 
you know, being clear on what I want and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And again, that's why I've chose not to syndicate. It's why I've chose to not start a pro- my own property management company and just have a third pro- uh, third party property management company. Because I go back to everything I think, everything I do, real estate or not, I think of how does this affect my time? Is this going to add value and take away from the things that are most important to me? Or is this going to actually add value and give me more time in the areas that are, that are more most important to me? I think real estate in general, it's, it's easy to create a business that you're forcing yourself to work in. And then you're actually gave yourself a, a job. And when I talk to most people, that's not why they got into real estate. They got into real estate investing because they wanted passive income so they could actually go do these other things in their life that were important to them. So just being clear on what you want and then actually create an environment that supports that. No, absolutely. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And it it makes a lot of sense, you know, especially, you know, really understanding and and really getting into why you're doing this in the first place, you know, it's um, really understanding and getting that clarification will really help to solidify and to pave the path for what you want to do. No, exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much, Gabriel. I really appreciate you sharing, you know, your background and your story and how you've gotten to where you are today and building up your portfolio with the seller financing. And you know all the experiences that you've had up to date. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And so, Gabriel, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you, where can they go? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram, just at Gabriel R Hamill. Uh, you'll find me. You just search Gabriel Hamill, you'll find me. Uh, my website's HamillInvestments.com. But honestly, if your listeners reach out to me on Instagram, I, I make sure I respond to anyone that messages me. I love hearing from people who. Are just getting started. I love hearing from people who quit their jobs and are financially free. I, I love it all. Like That excites me when I see people going for their dream and, and kicking ass. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gabriel. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.